It was a beautiful November day, Thanksgiving holiday. A man in my church said, I bought this brand new fishing boat and I want to take you fishing. We planned the day, got it very early. It was one of those cold days in Northern California. It's about 42 degrees and it's clear, you know, cold. It's Northern California, it's cold. We're out on the lake early in the morning and he's got, this boat had every gadget you could ever imagine. I mean, it, it told you there were fish there. It told you what kind they were. It told you how big they were. <laughs> and yet we were catching no fish. So he decided we should move to another part of the lake. And, and he also wanted to demonstrate the incredible power of this new boat. So we pulled up our lines and he put it in gear and we took off across the lake. And as we flew across Folsom Lake, which is a very large lake, um, we both simultaneously looked and said, that buoy is out of place. Either that or we're in the wrong channel. And as we got closer, we realized, again simultaneously, it was not a buoy, but it was a life jacket floating in the middle of this lake in the middle of November. And being um, the curious people we are and realizing there was also a head connected to that life jacket, we swung over and found this elderly gentleman connected to this life jacket, the coldest person I have ever seen. And as we got close, I did what I always do. I say the obvious. I looked down and I said, can we help you? <laughs> he said, I've been in this water, I think, for 45 minutes. I'm swimming to shore. I'm going to be fine, but I could use a hand getting out of the... <laughs> and so I reached down and grabbed him by the belt. We pulled him out. He drank both of our thermoses of coffee. He drank our lunch. He literally took the flannel shirt off my back and all of our coats and blankets. We got him changed, got him warm. He says, my wife's going to really, I'm in trouble. (laughs) His wife took his boat away, so he went and bought one of the little green rafts you buy like at Walmart or Kmart, you know, those little six-foot things. He said, I'm an engineer. I have two batteries in front. I had my electric motor, and I had this big fish on it. When I set the hook, unfortunately, I fell over backwards. I said, where's the boat? He said, I don't know, it was heading that direction last time I looked. (laughs) We found the boat in the weeds, engine still, motor still going. We took him back to shore, we put his boat back in his truck, and he left. But I've never seen a smile on anyone's face as I saw when I pulled up next to him. He was convinced he was going to make it to shore, I was convinced he would die. We did not expect that day to be saving someone's life. We expected to catch a lot of fish. We caught no fish that day. Has your life ever taken that unexpected turn where you thought you had your life planned, you thought you had even ministry planned, and suddenly something unexpected happens and it goes a different direction? Most of us are here because of that reality in our lives. This time in the life of your church, as planned as you think it is and as directed as you think it is, can take that unexpected turn because God may have something different and even more exciting than you could ever dream. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 12 and reading through the end of the chapter. It's only a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 12. I'm reading from the New Century uh, version. It's the one that Max Lucado uses a lot, so it's a little different maybe than what you have, but listen as, it, as we read God's Word together. This is Paul, the Apostle, speaking. When I came to Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord gave me... A good opportunity there. But I had no peace because I did not find my brother Titus. So I said goodbye to them at Troas and went to Macedonia. 
But thanks be to God who always leads us in victory through Christ. God uses us to spread his knowledge everywhere like a sweet-smelling perfume. Our offering to God is this. We are the sweet smell of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are being lost. To those who are lost, we are the smell of death that brings death. But to those who are being saved, we are the smell of life that brings life. So who is able to do this work? We do not sell the word of God for a profit as many other people do. But in Christ, we speak the truth before God as messengers of God. There are two promises in this passage, and there is a challenge. One of the promises is this. God will open doors for ministry. The second, God is sufficient for any task he calls you to. And the challenge, to be the aroma of Jesus. The promise, God will open doors for ministry. For you as an individual, no matter how untalented or ungifted you think you are, God has ministry in mind for you. He has ministry in mind for this church, far beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. The most important thing anyone ever told me in ministry is this. God wants your availability, not your ability. It's the only reason that I'm in ministry today. Because God wants our availability, not our ability. He will work with you no matter who you are, no matter where you have been, no matter what talents you think you have or do not have. He has ministry for you. It may be as simple as sitting in the nursery and holding young children and as you hold them, telling them how much God loves them. That, that's powerful ministry. It may be the great joy of working with middle school people and going camping with them. And then you reevaluate and say, was that what you intended, God? <laughs> it may be leading a Bible study. It may be taking an umbrella on a rainy day And when people come to the church, you walk out with that umbrella and let them walk in under the security of your umbrella to discover then the life of church in the context of this place. I pray that God would open our eyes to see what he he is doing. I pray that he would open our ears that we might hear and we would have the courage to jump into ministry. The struggle for you as you move into this building is that it's easy to get focused on program. Make sure we fill it up. Make sure we have all the days filled and we forget about people. And the spontaneity of the gospel and what he's called you to do and be, don't lose that. Don't ever lose that. Be available to the old people in your lives who find themselves drowning in the midst of a lake and need to be rescued. To the young person that walks in off the street who doesn't look or talk or act like any of us and yet they come here to ask an honest question, is there a reason to live today? As you move into this building, I pray you do so with great hope that God will use it in some tangible way, to touch the lives of people in this community for the sake of the gospel. Folks, we commit to a church family not because um, it's about us, but rather to be a part of something much larger than ourselves that gets to touch the context of the community and the world in which we live in a dynamic way. That makes it worthwhile. Then he says that God is sufficient. How can we do this work? It's by the grace of God. Who is equal to the task? No one, except God who calls us. We are not on our own. And we get in trouble when we begin to rely on our own skill and our own abilities and forget we have a Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us and walks with us. My friends at Leadership Catalyst out of Phoenix, Arizona, talk about two ladders we can climb in life. One, 
is the capacity ladder, which is based on all the God-given talents and abilities we have. And we climb to the top of that ladder because we are gifted and talented people. And only to get to the top and realize what? There's not a whole lot left. But when we build the character ladder, taking the gifts and talents God has given us, and along the way, listening to the Spirit of God, that he might build the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That he might take the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount and teach us what it means to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and be a peacemaker. Then we have something that matters in our lives. And we cannot do that without the strength of God in our lives. Paul was being accused in Corinthians of being a money-grubbing preacher just out to get a buck. That's why he says in this passage, we do not sell the word of God for profit as many other people do. Trust me, they're out there. I can point you to where they are. It's not what we're about. We are not about preaching the gospel for profit. We are about looking at the motivation of our heart, asking God to transform it, and then making ourselves available again to be used by God. Our motivation is faith, not feeling. We don't do things in the church to make us feel good. We do it because our faith drives us to be avenues of grace and hope for other people. God is sufficient for the mortgage of this building. Do you believe that? Reality comes all too soon for the church treasurer. God is sufficient for the staffing of this church. That's why Andy is here. That's why Kurt is here. We'll talk more about them later. God is sufficient for the ministry of this church. Verse 17 says God sends. The God who sends is the God who holds them accountable. Paul was not peddling the gospel. He was living it out. And then the crux of the passage. See, Paul, he went to Troas to preach. He had good ministry there, but his brother wasn't there. So he left to go someplace else and God opened new doors of ministry. And he's so delighted because in the reality of all of this, he is called to be the aroma of Christ. The odor that comes from knowing Jesus. Have you thought about the fact that you in this world are to smell like Jesus? When I was in seminary traveling from Seattle to Chicago, there was a photographer in Seattle that had a good friend that had a photography studio across the street from, the, uh, from North Park Seminary. They were lifelong friends. And when I would leave Seattle, my father being a, owning a meat market, would send frozen salmon in dry ice. I would take it on the plane and deliver it to the man in Chicago. The photographer in, in Chicago would take Lou Malnati's frozen deep dish pizza, pack it in dry ice, and I would take it home on the plane to the photographer in Seattle. I did very well at that task until... Um, someone was unable to pick me up at the airport, and I was new to a transit system. I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle. We didn't have transit systems. They said it's simple. You get on the L, you go to the station, you get on the bus, take your right to the school. It is not a problem. The price of salmon was high that year, so my father decided that crab would be a better choice. He packed the crab in the ice, gave it to me. I had my little package. I got on my plane. I got on the L train. I got on a bus. It was the wrong bus. I saw the south side of Chicago. I saw the east side of Chicago. I saw the north side of Chicago. And I began to notice that when people entered the bus, they would go. 
And then I hear them whisper. And I suddenly realized it wasn't me, but it was that package up above. So when I finally got on the wrong bus, I did what all good seminarians do. I left the package. (laughs) I got on the bus and went to school. Well, I don't know who had to clean that bus, but I tell you what. It smelled like rotten crab. You ever picked up a, you ever, your child ever pick up a dead fish or a dead crab on the beach? You cannot get that smell out. It like stays with them for days. This, this passage is in reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system in Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, where we would offer sacrifice to God and it would, it says, the Bible says it would go up and, and be a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. Have you thought about your worship and your life being a sweet aroma to the nostrils of God? Have you thought about Romans 12, 1 and 2, making your lives a living sacrifice? There it is again, the sacrifice, the aroma, the sweet smell of Jesus to that person who cuts you off in traffic when you're tempted to wave at them. The sweet aroma of Jesus to the person in the coffee shop that cannot decide what they want and they've been there for 20 minutes in line. Just give her a latte! The sweet aroma of Jesus. When you're out in a boat and you plan to spend the day fishing and suddenly there's this person who's taking your clothes, your food, and your coffee. The aroma of Jesus to your spouse. When you've had a really crummy day and you really do not want to be nice, the aroma of Jesus to your child who has to tell you about their day and you really would rather focus on the newspaper or something else. The aroma of Jesus to the student in your classroom whose life is falling apart. The aroma of Jesus to your coworker who needs hope for a new day. The aroma of Jesus to the person sitting next to you this morning. Because we all come here battered and bruised from the world. None of our lives are perfect, folks. Man, I wish they were. But they're not. And he calls us to be the sweet smell of Jesus. To stink like Jesus. It's knowing him and it's living in Jesus. It's not just speaking the word, but it's being a creation of the word of God. It's being a creation of the living word. A creation of Jesus. It is the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the Beatitudes coming to life in Matthew 5. It is not looking to be served, but looking to serve. It is the presence of Jesus in the midst of chaos. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, during Second World War, Christian, housed Jews, tried to save them. He once said, there will be a new revolution in the church when the church of Christ takes seriously the Sermon on the Mount. When the world sees us live it, then they will know who we are. I pray that this church would reflect the values of the kingdom of God and in so doing, turn this community upside down. God will open doors. God will keep us strong for any task he calls us to. We are the aroma of Christ, young and old, skilled and unskilled. I led a senior Bible study at one of my churches for years. And... uh, one of the men sat back during one of the meetings and we were talking about what we could do in the church. He said, you know what? I'm 86 years old. I've done it all. I'm in retirement. And the only person in the room who could challenge him was a woman across the table who was older than he was. 
who took her Bible and literally threw it and hit him in the chest and said, show me in this book where it says you get to retire, old man. <laughs> I, yeah, you go for it, Angie. <laughs> we all have ministry no matter how old we are, how young we are. We smell like Jesus. Someone once said, Lord, make me a fork in the road that people must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Wow. Do they see Christ in me? In us. In the church. Max Lucado says this, Where the grace of God is missed, bitterness is born. But where grace is embraced, forgiveness flourishes. The longer we walk in the garden, the more likely we are to smell like flowers. The more we immerse ourselves in grace, the more likely we are to give grace. Do we not want to smell like Jesus and people of grace? Then bask in His presence, but don't be satisfied with that. Take that smell with you out into the broken world. And I pray as people drive by, they will be so compelled by the aroma of this place that they will walk inside and discover grace. It is who we are at our best as a covenant church. It is all He's called us to be. To Him be glory forever and ever in your lives and in this church. Amen?